Hello and welcome back to the God's Story podcast. I'm Brent Siddle and I'm joined once again by the Reverend Ian Reid, Rideau of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North in New Zealand. And uh, Rideau, hi. Hi, how are you Brent? I'm doing well yourself. I'm going okay. You're going okay, you're going, that's good. Now, uh, we've been enjoying our conversations on the Gospel of Mark, Ian, and today we continue our series on Mark's Gospel with Mark chapter 1, verse 35 to chapter 2, verse 12. Now, I think we touched on a part of this passage last week, but we're coming back to look at it again because I think we can get a little bit more out of it. But what has Mark told us so far about who Jesus is? Well, this is the interesting thing about Mark. Right at the beginning... Of Mark in the very first verse, this is what he says: the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He tells us right at the beginning who he knows uh, Jesus is, and he kind of doesn't hold back in in his kind of we might say bias uh, in trying to. He's trying to tell us that he's trying to convince us of the same thing that he's the Son of God. And so so far, Mark has told us that we've seen. Sorry, Jesus. Yeah, Marcus told us that we we see uh, Jesus' baptism that uh, the heavens are kind of ripped open and God the Father speaks down and said, "This is my Son, whom I love." We see God saying that. We've even seen uh, evil spirits say the same thing. And so we've got all these characters kind of sitting on the outside of the story, telling us who Jesus is, and we're kind of working it out for ourselves. And what has Mark already told us about the kingdom of God? Because he introduces that concept very early on in his gospel, doesn't he? Yeah, it's the almost the, the, the kind of the first thing that Jesus says. So in chapter 1, verse 14, this is what Jesus, sorry, verse 15 says, uh, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, I think what is going on there is Jesus is saying, uh, I am the kingdom because I am the king, the kingdom's king, and I've come to fulfill all of what has been going on in the Old Testament. I've come here to fulfill it. Mm. Yes, and he set up this sort of really uh, fulfillment of the Old Testament through all these references back to the creation account in Genesis and the mm. Exodus and Elijah and Moses and Jacob and the prophets and everything else, hasn't he? Yeah, you've got all of these little references here and there. And even the, the beginning of the gospel starts with a reference from Malachi and Isaiah, both saying that this time has come and the, and the messenger to, to prepare the way for, the God, for God to come uh, has come. And that was John. And now we see you know, kind of that being spilled over onto Jesus as well. Okay, so we come today to look at verses 35 to 39, first of all, of chapter 1. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark... That's an interesting detail, Ian, which we didn't, I don't think we picked that up last time. He departed and went out to a desolate place. There's our wilderness again. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now, why does Jesus go out to a desolate place there in verse 35? Well, this is a theme that runs all the way through Mark, that Jesus constantly goes out into the wilderness. He's constantly uh, kind of in these kind of what what, uh, the ESV calls desolate places. I think what's going on is that he's trying to find rest. Uh, And so he's going to these places. And in a sense, he's retelling Israel's story. So Israel uh, ends... 
you know, kind of when they come out of uh, Egypt, where do they end? They end up in the in the wilderness before they enter the promised land. And so there's this idea of uh, kind of that being replayed. But there's also the idea around here about Jesus trying to find rest. The, wherever he goes, he tries to go into the wilderness where no one is, but people come and find him anyway. Yeah, so you've got the practical, and then, then there's a theological echo of uh, Israel's story of Jesus, of Jesus being like the new Israel, I suppose. Can we say that? Yes, definitely. Yeah, so he's like the new Israel who goes out into the wilderness and then presumably comes back into the promised land again. Is that how it's working? Well, you definitely have that with uh, after his baptism. Where does he go? He goes out into the wilderness uh, and he's tempted by Satan, the very thing that happens in the Garden of Eden, the very thing I think that it's kind of been... Uh, hinted at is at Mount Sinai where Mo, they're in the wilderness Moses is up meeting with God but what are the people doing down the bottom they're kind of worshipping another God tempted by Satan I think in, in that that Jesus is replaying these moments in, of Israel's history but he replays them in a different way that he succeeds uh, where these other humans haven't mm. now we're told that Jesus rose very early in the morning while it is was still dark now is there an echo of the first day of creation here why not <laughs> yeah. um it's really very early on in Jesus' ministry. It seems like it's almost the first day of Jesus' ministry. Well, that, that's exactly how I read it. You know how in the beginning of John, you can definitely count the seven days of creation in the, in the first couple of chapters. But why, are we, why else would he say that? Yeah, well, it, it, Mark adds in all these little details here. And there. later on, there's a feeding story in chapter 6. And it says that they sat down on the green grass. And it's like all these little bits of, of kind of very specific information um, but I do wonder if there's like a theological link there as well. I, I, I suspect there, oh, this is supposition, but I suspect why else would you include it? Um, for, I don't know. For fun. Well, no, because he's got a limited space in his papyrus, right. hasn't he? And yeah, every, every yeah. word is costing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, why does Jesus reply to the disciples the way he does here? Yeah, it seems a bit short, doesn't it? So they've come to him. They've come to maybe he was, you know, was actually having a sleep or something out there, or praying intensely, and they've come and disturbed him. But uh, it does seem a little bit curt. Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I've come out. And this is, a, I think, it's very interesting what Jesus is saying. What what is going on uh, is that this is Jesus' first day of ministry. He's started to heal people. He's driven out an unclean spirit. The whole town has come to see Jesus and everyone has come to be healed. And where does Jesus go? He goes out of the way to kind of get away from these people. And he says, I haven't come for this, for the fame and for the glory. I think that's what he's talking about. I've come to bring the kingdom of God. And so that's why we need to go elsewhere. Yes, the whole this early part of the ministry, he really is uh, fighting, I suppose, people's concept of what he's going to do and who he, who they think he is. Well, you've got that everyone is looking for you. The idea that if you are able to fulfil what I desire of you, then we need to we need to get you back. We need to kind of have you around. Well, they soon change their tune, don't they? What is Jesus effectively doing by casting out demons there in verse thirty nine? Well, this is one of the themes that, that runs through Mark as well, that not all the Gospels kind of touch on this so much. But in Mark, there is this definitely this kind of theme running through demons and evil spirits kind of running the whole way through. It's quite interesting that the kind of the, the satanic kind of element to it, you have it very early on with Jesus 
uh, kind of going out into the wilderness. And Mark is quite interested in those types of things. Let, let me read 39 again. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. See, notice it doesn't mention he did any healings there. I think we can assume that he did. But I think what's going on is that this is the king come into the world and he's getting rid of the, the foreign invaders uh, and telling them and kind of casting them out of his land and saying, go away, this is my place. I've come and, I, and he does that with a word. Uh, we, we see that at various points throughout Mark. But you know these foreign occupiers are in the land and he's casting them out. Yes, and Mark is really concerned in these early chapters to show that Jesus is king and that Jesus has total authority over evil, mm. uh, over, the, over, the, over Satan and over sickness. Yeah, and we see that all, well, particularly right at the beginning here, all of these miracles are kind of about those things, aren't they? They're, they're kind of, this is who Jesus is. When any form of uh, kind of evil comes against him or you know, kind of the, the fruit of sin, you know, kind of whether that's needing to heal someone or, or cast out a demon, what does he do? When, he come, when it meets the king, they're done away with. Mm. Okay, verses 40 to 45 of chapter 1. Let's carry on. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places there out desolate place again and people were coming to him from every quarter now ian what's the significance of the leprosy here and what is leprosy anyway well we think they think leprosy um it was kind of a name for most skin diseases at the time so it may not necessarily be exactly the same as what we think of leprosy but it's it's most it's more likely to be Kind of someone with a, someone with a skin disease, but the, the important thing was that if you had a skin disease like that, you could not live where everyone else lived. You had to be outside the town in fear of infecting other people. So, so you would go live on the outskirts of town somewhere, often with other people in a similar situation. Yeah. So the leper would have been cut off from the community of Israel and presumably couldn't go to the temple. No, you couldn't go to the temple. You couldn't go worship. Uh, it was difficult to get along. In just in life, and when you walked into town, which for whatever reason you would have to, you'd have to say unclean, unclean. You'd shout unclean, unclean as you were walking through, so people wouldn't come near you. Mm. What's Jesus, the Lord Jesus' response to this man? He touches him. This is really yes, that's extraordinary, isn't it? Oh, no. Mm. Look, forty-one. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, "I will be clean." You know, the, the this is just unheard of. You do not touch someone who's unclean because that. Uh, you are then infected with their uncleanness. Even if you're not infected with the skin disease, you're infected with their uncleanness. And that cuts you off from relationship with your community, cuts you off from your relationship with God. Uh, and so, but Jesus does the opposite. Rather than being infected with the uncleanness, what happens? He infects the man with his own holiness. Mm. What's the significance of this? Uh, my translation in verse 41 has moved with pity, but it's this... I, this Greek word that I can never pronounce, splagnitsomai. Well, it's not splagnitsomai, but it's a, that, that splagnitso word. Yeah, it? yeah, it's kind of, which is, has the connotations of anger. Yes. 
extremely uh, pity, but but there's an element of ang- uh, anger in it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think the idea is the kind of the churning of the guts, and you know, kind of you know, like deep down, you kind of. And it's, he's not angry with the man. He, I think what, what is trying to be expressed is that he is the coming king and he's angry with the situation that the world has got itself into. With, with, uh, and this is part of the fruit of sin, is uh, this man's suffering. And so he's angry about that. Uh, and you know, But what does he do? He actually comes to undo that, that, that sin and the fruit of it. Yes. And what's Mark telling us about the kingdom and about Jesus here then? Well, what do we see? You know, verse 42, immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. That this is what God, uh, sorry, this is what Jesus has come to do. He's come to undo sin. He's come to be the king in this world. He's come to do the thing that Adam and Eve couldn't do, that Israel couldn't do. Uh, He's come to be the king, to rid, rid the world of sin and establish God's kingdom here on earth. Yes, and he does it in ways that are going to shock the religious establishment because he's breaking all the rules, isn't he? Well, their rules at or least. Or their, their rules, that's yeah, right. Yeah, you're their, right. Yeah. And that's what we need to be careful of. As you read Mark, people are really upset at Jesus for breaking the rules, but what we need to see is he never breaks the Old Testament law uh, and he breaks their rules that they've made about the Old Testament law, but he never actually goes against God's Old Testament law. Okay, so what sort of kingdom are the people who are fluff? who are flocking to Jesus, expecting? Well, this is something that kind of gets developed through Mark. But I think one of the big issues is that if someone comes and uh, they, they're they able to, to heal everyone around them, uh, you know, kind of do all of these things, you want them as king, but you want them as someone who can serve you rather than you have to serve. And this is one of the big things I think that flows through Mark is that what type of king is Jesus going to be? Is he going to be one who's come to be served or one that people are going to make them make him serve them? And in a sense, that he's going to be made their slave. And I think definitely it's the, it's the former, isn't it? That he's going to say, I am the king, I'm here for you to serve me, but this is what the kingdom is going to be like. Mm. Yes, well, verses 1 to 12 of chapter 2 then. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them and they came, bringing to him a paralytic. We've had a leper, now we've got a paralytic. Carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof. This is extraordinary, isn't it? They removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Okay, so what happens in this third account, Ian? Well, what do we have? We have kind of all of these things that Jesus is able to do. We've seen him 
clean, kind of um, get rid of the unclean spirits in people. We've seen him healing people. Uh, we've seen him uh, kind of preaching as well, haven't we? And in this part, what do we what do we see? We see those two things kind of coming together. Uh, Jesus uses this situation of a paralytic man coming to him uh, to really proclaim of why he has come into this world. Uh, and interestingly, it's not just to do healings. It's kind of something much further beyond that. And the, it's the, the kind of the, the sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, is such a powerful thing of what's going on here. And it's really the key to the whole, this whole kind of little part of the passage of understanding of why Jesus has come. And it really helps us understand the rest of the book. It, would a paralytic person have been similarly unclean and, and couldn't have attended temple worship? Well, they couldn't because they couldn't walk, and so they would have needed to go there. Not necessarily. I mean, they, they, there were issues around um, if you had been maimed and, and there, weren't, there were certain areas of the temple that you wouldn't be allowed in, but it wouldn't necessarily exclude you from worship. So it's not a, you're not cut off uh, kind of from God's kingdom as such. But um, I think one of the bigger things going on is that people... There was kind of a karma idea that this man would have deserved what he got in some kind of in some sense, and so so this is another outcast. This is another one of Jesus' outcasts. Well, there's no social security or anything right. like that, so you know it's it's difficult to get on if you're paralysed like this. And so yeah, it is it is possible that that he was socially outcast. Although it's interesting that that you know, it's four four men that bring him, so they, they people are looking after him at the same time. Yes, and uh, taking the roof off to get him, to, to lower him down. Yep. Well, so who is Mark, we mentioned that Jesus says your sins are forgiven. So who is Mark telling us Jesus is here? What's the point of, of recording this? Well, without you know, using the words, he's saying this is the Son of God. Because you know, the, the religious leaders, what do they say? Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive God? So who can forgive sins but God alone? And so is, they're right. They, they, you know, they're the scribes, they're the religious experts. They've got that right, that only God can forgive sins. And so by Jesus declaring that your sins are forgiven, what Mark is telling us is that this is the Son of God. It is God himself come and entered into his creation. Yes, I always feel the early chapters of Mark are a bit like a detective novel. He just keeps giving you clues after mm. clues after clues as to who Jesus is. Yep. And it just builds up until it's some, it's an unanswerable, really. So why are the religious people so upset then? Because it's, it's blasphemy in their minds that how can a man be God? God, you know, kind of can't, can't come as a human being. And so it's blasphemy also because... He's saying he's claiming God's authority on his own behalf. And how can you possibly prove that? How can you be God? You know, how can you claim God's authority? And so they're so upset because he's, he, he's doing only what God can do, and that's blasphemy in their eyes. Mm. Why does Jesus deal with the man's sin first? Well, I think, I think it's just a, it's kind of he's making a point here and in terms of declaring himself. I don't, I don't know if there's necessarily... It's more. It's a dramatic effect more than anything, I think. Uh, but the idea is stirring people up, doesn't it? Jesus loves to do this. He just kind of knows what's deep, deep down in people's hearts, and so he knows how to kind of get to them. He's very provocative, isn't he? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he does stuff only he could get away with, <laughs> kind yeah. of. Yeah, but he is very provocative, and I, and I think that's the point of it, is that he forgives him the man's sins first. One, it is to be provocative, but also because he deals with the root cause of all of the problems that we all have, uh, that 
even beyond this man's paralysis, uh, the deeper problem is that he is out of relationship with God because of his sin. And, and of course, sin and the fall being responsible for sickness and disease, not in the sense that the man sinned so he was, he, he was um, responsible for his sickness. That's not what, uh, what Mark's saying. But that sickness is the outworking of human sin and frailty. Yeah, and mm. you know, we're all... You know, we all experience that in different ways, and some some of us to lesser, and some of us more. But we all experience that, and it's not there's no correlation between our specific sin and maybe specific suffering for this man. And Jesus Jesus actually deals with that uh, as we go through Mark. Uh, but yeah, it's just it is an outcome of being in a fallen world. Mm-hmm. Well, as we come to an end, Ian, how should we respond to these passages that we've been studying today? Well, I think as we work through Mark. We've got to do what Mark is uh, kind of asking us to do, which is work out who Jesus is. And so I think that that's the big thing, is that we're trying to work out who Jesus is. Is he the Son of God? Is he, the one, is he God come into the world? And kind of with fresh eyes, we need to be asking those deeper questions around, okay, if God is um, kind of Lord of all, would he come into creation? Would he come and redeem that creation if it, if it kind of opposed him and, uh, and was fallen? And if this is true, then what does that mean for our lives uh, if this is the true king? And and also, I think we're um, led to ask the question, what sort of king, what sort of messiah is Jesus going to be? Is he going to be this popular messiah of of, uh, legend who's going to ride in and and take over from the Romans? Or is he going to be a suffering servant, a Mm. suffering king? Yeah, that question is building, isn't it? Yeah, we're not quite there yet, but that, that, that question is kind of building. Has he come to serve me or has he come so that I can serve him? Mm. All right, Ian Reid, the Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church in Palmerston, North New Zealand. Thank you so much. And the next time we meet Ian, we're going to be carrying on with Chapter 2, going from verses 13 to verse 19 of Chapter 3. Thank you very much. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.